Good evening. I just find it interesting that I always face this way, but nobody ever sits here. I guess that's what you get for having church in a circle. It's okay. Voter, you lied to me, man. You told me you were going to sit over in the corner. No, 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 don't do it. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Oh, okay. Good, both of you. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. Hey, feel free while we're... Church is going if you desire to get up and get some coffee or whatever. I made a lot of it tonight, so you're not going to offend me if you're like, I need some more coffee. Um, just feel free to get on up and go ahead and get that. Hey, before we dive in tonight, I just got a couple of quick announcements. One is coming up next week, we're doing a baptism service. Uh, if you're interested in that, let me know. We'd love to dunk you. We're all about that. we got five people right now lined up to do that. Or if you just have questions about why we even do that and what that's all about, we'd love to explain Right now? You were set up to go last time? You want to go this time? You're sick? Well, let's do it. All right. Well, talk to me afterwards. We'll, we'll do it. All right. Got to love the evening service. It's very laid back. It's all good. Um, so that's going on. Also, I'm looking for a couple of people um, who come to the evening service regularly to come just about 20 minutes to a half an hour early and help us set up. We, we just, it, it's kind of, it's really simple, making coffee, just kind of straightening up, because apparently the people in the first service, when they get done with stuff, they're like, oh, there's no garbage can, maybe I'll just throw it on the floor, and so I, I don't know what the deal is with that, but uh, so we need people to come through and basically just pick up a few things and help this place look nice, so if you're interested in that, um, Ryan Wright is now in charge of that, even though he doesn't know it, uh, <laughs> so, so talk to him and, and he'll set you up, but we, we'd love to get a couple people helping out with that, that would be Awesome. Uh, ooh, the ladies' Christmas tea. Yeah. December 5th. Is that this Saturday? Okay, this Saturday. I, I don't know what that means exactly, ladies' Christmas tea, but I'm, I'm assuming it's for women and then there's tea. I, I know that my wife is singing at it, and that's a good thing. I know Robin Wilkinson from Community Church is going to be speaking, and she's awesome, so I know that. So that's right here uh, next Saturday. So ladies, you can check that. I, I do find it interesting that the ladies are having a Christmas tea, and the men just got done watching a whole entire night of men beating the trash out of each other for the um, Act Like Men conference we had here last Saturday. So a little different in conference. I don't think there's any going to be any fighting going on, but if there is, I would go. Um, Get your mind. What, 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 what do you think I'm talking about here? Why is everybody laughing? Okay. Anyways, 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 anyways. Okay. Uh, just real quick before we dive in, but I was supposed to apparently do a Thanksgiving message. Uh, I, I didn't get that memo, so you're not getting a Thanksgiving message tonight. If that's what you came here expecting, I, I'm not even sure. If, I might even say that in the bulletin, but. Uh, we're not going over Thanksgiving this week. I hope you had a great one. It's not that I hate Thanksgiving. It's actually my favorite holiday of the year. It involves doing very little physical activity and watching lots of football and eating way too much food, and I just get tired and sleep all day. So uh, we're not going over Thanksgiving. Don't think that I hate it, but uh, we're, we're, going, we're continuing in our Acts series. So uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. Verse 9, uh, that's where we're going to be picking up. I'll get there in a minute. Just turn in, in, uh, in your Bible. I can talk, I promise. Okay, you can turn your Bibles there. We'll get there eventually. 
But before we get there, we have to do a little work to set this text up into what I want us to grab from this time. And I have to clarify something as well. Please stick with me to the end. Uh, I, I, I found out after the service, actually had a couple people leave during the first service because they didn't like the front end. But there's a lot of hope that comes in the end of, the, uh, of, of this message. So if you hear something that riles you up or that you're like, I just flat out don't like that, well, let's deal with that, but look, give me the full time. And it's more awkward with less people if you decide to get up and walk out because everybody's going to see you and be like, oh, that's the guy who doesn't like the message. So, you, it's, so I don't think we'll have that problem tonight as, as much as we did this morning. But stick with me, um, I, and I do love you. I understand that, that it's, I'm not doing this up just because I'm a jerk, um, which some may think I am by the end of this, but I'm not, I promise. I, I love you all dearly. So before we dive in, how is faith in the United States portrayed? How, how, how is faith, um, Christian faith, thought of in the United States? And when I, when I was thinking this through, there was a couple of mainstreams, and, and understand that this isn't the extent of it, but I was thinking through, how, what are some of the main ways that our faith is um, realized and actually put into practice in America today? And, and I'm going to kind of pick on some of the ones that I don't like. Uh, the first one I have here is what I call Bible Belt American Faith. And what this is, is this is my hometown, um, right outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, s- southeastern Indiana. Everybody there is a Christian because they're an American. Okay, they're, they're, they have faith in Jesus because of their nationality. Or, I'm an American, therefore I'm a Christian. Duh. And that's about the extent of their faith experience. It was interesting, I've preached twice in my hometown since I became a Christian, and that was September 16th of 2000 was when I became a Christian. And so I've, I've gotten the opportunity twice, and each time, the whole entire, like, I, I gave, like, the gospel, and I presented it, and, and I said, who wants it? And, like, everybody in the room was like, yeah, me. Like, the whole room. I'm not even exaggerating. There wasn't a single person in there who wasn't like, yeah, I want to be a Christian. And it, it kind of caught me off guard. I was like, man, I must have killed it. Like, what's going on? Like, people, like, coming up. Everybody in the whole room's accepting Jesus. Like, I must have just done it. And as I talked with each person, what I found was, well, yeah. What else would we be? We're Americans. And that's a real thing that they would say to us. Now, we don't have that. That, that issue isn't quite as prevalent as you get further north or even west a lot of times. You get that a lot in southern states. But let's just be honest. We get a lot of imports into Gunnison primarily from Texas and some other southern states. And, and, and so I have to confront that because that may be some of us in here. It, it, it's this kind of like, well, I'm a Christian because of my nationality. And, and let's just be honest, it, it exists other countries too, right? Uh, I was in an airport three trips ago, when I, last time I traveled. It was, it was just a while ago. And, and I was in the airport and I had a waiter. I was in a restaurant by myself which is always awkward. Have you ever noticed in, re- I was just in an airport. Have you ever noticed that like in restaurants and airports, they give you like this much room in between tables and you got bags too. And you feel like a jerk. Cause you're like, I'm like smacking a lady in the face. Cause I got like the, 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 the purse, the man purse thing, but it's 10 bucks. So it's cool. Cause, I, but not outside of Gunnison. It's not okay. It's called a man purse elsewhere. Everybody here. It's cool, but not there. And like you're hitting the people in the face and 
And I go there, and I sit down, and I'm eating it, and I have a waiter, and uh, he sees me. I have my Bible. I was working on a sermon, and, and he asked me what, what faith I was. I said I was a Christian. And I, and I asked him, well, well do, you, do you practice anything? Or, or do you have a faith? And he said, yeah, I, I'm Muslim. I said, oh, interesting. What, 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 what sect, what, what group do you belong to? Because Islam is really broken down into your region and different things. And he goes, oh, no, no, no non-practicing. I'm a non-practicing Muslim. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. Non-practicing. And what, what struck me about that was at least this guy was honest about it. Because I, I feel like a lot of us, when, when our faith is based around our nationality or even maybe our lineage, my parents were Christians, therefore I am too. I think we have a lot of people in our country who would claim Jesus as their God, but really, if you were to examine their life, they're non-practicing Christians. I think we have a lot of people who walk around with that, and, and I don't want to get into statistics stuff. It drives me nuts when I go to church, and they're like, George Barna this, and they have like 50,000 different statistics on why the whole country is going to hell, and everybody's going to die, and everything's going to explode, and why you need to buy the next um, tribulation series books that are coming out and get the Bible study small group DVD set to go with it. I'm not that guy and I'm not going to go there, but I, I do think that there is some merit to the fact that majority of our country would claim Jesus, but very few, if you really ask them, would say, yes, I practice. I think we have a lot of non-practicing and I think a lot of that has to do with based off of nationality or even family dynamics. Okay, other one is this. This one's much more prevalent um, where we live here. And I call this the Jesus Plus faith. It's, it's, it, I, I talk to a lot of younger people, and, and they always tell me, yeah, I, I really do like Jesus. It's usually not an issue with Jesus. Jesus is very accessible. Jesus is something that people generally aren't going to go, man, I hate that Jesus guy. Like, I mean, have you ever really heard somebody be like, Jesus was a jerk? Like, I, I mean, you just don't hear that that often. Unless somebody's just really angry, and then it's not even, you're not even really having a conversation. But most people will say, I really like Jesus. But then they'll also list off, yeah, sure, I follow Jesus. I believe he was God. But I also believe this guy was God, and I believe that this is a God, and I believe this, and I believe this. And it's all about the path that you want to take. It's all about whichever one will work for you at different times, different stages in your life to get you there. Understand me with love as I tell you this, okay? Because I have to. As a pastor, my, one of my jobs, and one of the scariest things about my job is this, is that when I preach the word of God, if I do not tell you the whole truth in this thing, I am held accountable before God as your pastor someday. It says that people who bring the word have, they may have double honor, but it's also really dangerous business. And so understand that when I say this, it's in love and also out of an honest fear of God. Not a negative fear, a good fear. Is this, is that Jesus is the only way. He clearly says it. And we don't have time this morning to dive into that specifically. I would love, I would love, I would love if you're just sitting here going, man, I disagree with everything you just said, to sit down and talk with you more about that. I'm not hating on you, I'm not hammering you, but I have to tell you the truth that here at this church, we believe that Jesus is it. One of the best analogies came from a good friend of mine, Neil Cohen, about this, and, and, I, and we were talking about the path thing. And he said, yeah, you may have your own path, but Jesus was the only one who actually came down and would carry me because I knew I wasn't strong enough to make it to the top anyways. That's what separates my path apart. I just, that stuck with me for a long time. So 
Jesus plus faith, we get a lot of that. And the Bible is very clear and it says, I'm a jealous God. He doesn't want to share his glory with anybody or anything. Nowhere, never. He wants it all. Okay, so Jesus plus doesn't really work. Uh, this is probably the saddest one to me. And these are, those first two are kind of the ones we, we talk about a lot. But I think the third one is actually the most prevalent. Is most Americans don't really care. I would say that's probably apathy is the biggest killer of our faith in America. Comfort, laziness, just apathy. Majority, majority Christians really, really don't view their faith as something that really impacts their day-to-day life. And they don't really care. Because, let's just be honest, most of us here are pretty comfortable, right? They're extremely comfortable. We're extremely comfortable, and we can get away with it, and we don't really cry out to God. And here's my fear for us. Just be really honest with y'all this evening on this one. In my job, I get to talk to a lot of people. Just lots of people come in and talk to me, and I'm supposed to like be able to give them some profound something. And I don't really know what to do with that because... I'm not that great one-on-one. I'm, I'm much better if you give me a head mic and you all have to listen to me. I'm not very good at the other stuff, and I'm working on that. But it, it, it's something that I'm working on. But I, I, I've, I've started kind of a process when people come in and talk to me. And it's this, is I'll say, tell me about your faith. Tell me from conversion to now. What have you seen God do in your life? What have you seen him show up in? And it's just a way to kind of open that door. You know what a lot of the people I get is? They have a conversion story, and that's really about it. There was a time when they raised a hand, when they walked an aisle, when they filled out a card, when they did something like that, and now I don't have to go to hell. That's really their understanding of the gospel. And that's so sad, because the gospel is so much richer than that. So much greater. Don't get me wrong. The health thing's a big deal, okay? Like, that's a good thing. All about that. Eternal damnation, not all for that, okay? I'm all about the whole heaven thing. Good thing. Hanging out with Jesus forever. All that kind of stuff. Love that. But it's so much more than that. Do you see how lame of a faith that is? When And I'm not saying that in a joke. I mean a lame faith. A dead faith is when... Our story is, yes, I want to accept you, and then it stops there. Or what scares me is, as I deal a lot with younger kids, middle schoolers and high schoolers, and, and I'm looking around, no parents here, all right, we're safe. Hope, most parents don't listen to podcasts, so it should be good. I have kids who, who, who the gospel was presented to them this way. Okay, Johnny, do you want to go to heaven with mommy and daddy someday? And be with Jesus? Or do you want to go to the place of burning and fire and gnashing teeth without mommy and daddy? Hmm. Let me think. I'll go with mommy and daddy. Good deal. I'll go there. And I I talk to kids, and that's really their faith experience all the time. There really is no depth. It really has no consequence in their life. 
So, before we dive into our text, I want to read you something just so you understand that I'm not hammering you too much. I'm going to post all my notes online. I'm going to go through a lot of scripture here tonight. So if you're one of those people that just feels like you have to like go through everything, just pick it up later because we're going to go through a lot tonight pretty quickly. But it'll all be there. If you hang out in the main chunk of scripture, we'll be there. If you're like one of those guys like, oh, Second Timothy, boom, beat you. That's cool. You can do that with us too. Like, Because I'm not that fast. I'm like the guy's like, oh, and I always blame it on that I got a new Bible. Second <laughs> um, Timothy 2.19 says this. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his. The Lord knows who are his. I I, want to be clear on something as I go into this, because it may sound as though I'm questioning our faith in here tonight, and that is intentional, okay? Just being clear. But God knows who are his, not me. Not anybody else, not the person sitting next to you. God knows who are his. He knows your heart. He knows your soul. So if you find yourself struggling with this and you know that you have a relationship with Jesus, just relax and know that he knows, okay? So how do you know where you fall? If you fall just in the area of like, man, I'm saved and I know it, and we'll get to that in a little bit because I'm going to go through a couple points at the end of some of the most godly people I know and some of the practices they have in their life to keep building that and keep building that and keep building that. But first I'm going to throw out four things that... I think are prevalent in somebody who thinks that they believe and really doesn't. But we're going to read our whole text first, and that's in Acts 8. Acts 8, verse 9. Just so you know where we are, we're still, church is being ravaged by Saul. They spread out. This guy named Philip has just cruised down to Samaria and is bringing the heat. He's preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved left and right. And so so we're picking it up there. Verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news, that's the gospel, but the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So here, here, here we have Simon, this magician who's been like amazing all these people, and for whatever reason, whatever Philip's doing, it doesn't tell us what Philip's doing, but whatever he's doing just smokes the doors off of Simon's magic tricks. Because Simon himself is even just amazed at what's going on. I don't know totally. It doesn't tell us what that looks like, but we know from the other apostles that people were walking around just laying hands on people, and people were being healed. Demons were being cast out. All sorts of crazy stuff was happening. So we can assume that probably some of that stuff was going on here. Okay? Let's keep reading. Verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, for those who are like the 
the, theology nuts, you, you can check out if you just don't care about this, but I think it's important that we understand this, is, is this is a unique situation in the Bible. You do not need an apostle normally to come and lay hands on you to receive the Holy Spirit. We know from countless other stories in the Bible that when people receive the Holy Spirit, when they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit falls on them and dwells within them. But here it, it clearly says that they needed the apostles to come and lay hands on them. So I, when I was reading this, I just got caught on that. I was like, what in the crap is going on? What, why do they need the apostles to come down? And I dug and I dug and dug. And I literally like read a stack of commentaries like as tall as me to figure this out. And, and I finally found just kind of a consistent theme that most theologians, and you can choose to believe it or not, it doesn't really totally tell us. But this seems to be the general thought is that we talked about last week how the Samaritans were kind of a group of people that were just so looked down on. They were a sect of Judaism that had broken off from Jerusalem. They had removed themselves, and they practiced parts of, of the Jewish customs, but not at all, and they added some other gods and things like that. And so the Jews would have viewed them as like the lowliest, low people. They hated them. And what's interesting is in Luke chapter 2, you have John, the same guy he's talking about here, actually praying that God will call down fire on these people. But later right here, we have John calling down the Holy Spirit on these people. I think that's really interesting. I don't know totally what to do with that, but I just found that really intriguing. But basically what this was, was they knew that if Samaria had accepted Jesus and they just did it on their own, it, it would have been very difficult for the Jewish culture and them to come together and have one church and one body so the apostles came down and laid their hands on them, showing a sign of unity amongst the new church, the church of Jesus. That's why this is a unique thing. It doesn't happen really anywhere else. I mean, you, there's laying on of hands and gifts given and things like that, but specifically here, this is just kind of a rare thing that we don't see that often. Okay, let's move on. I had to clear that up. Maybe some of you cared. Verse 18. Now when... Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. He offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my, lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray, pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Okay. I literally probably spent more time studying this chunk of scripture than I have on any other one that I've ever preached on because I didn't get it. And I'm not totally sure if I still do because here, let's just lay out, what's the story? We have Simon the sorcerer. He sees Philip come in and do signs and wonders and he's like, that's incredible. It says that he believes and he gets baptized. But then we have Peter come in and he says, I want to be able to do that too. And Peter tells him to repent because he has no lot in any of this. So all of a sudden, Peter's talking about like he's not saved. And then you have this, it sounds like a genuine response from Simon saying, I'm really sorry. Can you please pray for me that none of what you have said will happen to me? And then they leave. Story over. 
There's really no answer there. So when, when we come across stories that have no defined answer, it, it would be really easy just to, for, for me to make something up and be like, well, this is just signs of the first heretic, which a lot of people believe, which I don't really get that. Maybe I'm just too stupid to get it. But I think it's deeper than that. I don't know what happened to Simon. We have no clue. We have no idea what happened to him after they left. But we can pull out a few things from what I think Simon shows us of signs of somebody who thinks that they are a follower of Jesus but may really not be. It really does lay that out. And we're going to go there. Those are four things. First one is in verse 13, and it's this. I'll just read it first, and then we'll talk about it. Even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he continued with Philip. We can just stop there. Even Simon himself believed. This word believed here isn't, you have to understand our English language when we translate the Bible out, a lot of times it doesn't really work out how we want it to work out. This is the same word used as disbelieve in James 2.19, right? Can you bring that up? You believe that God is one. You dwell even in even the, even the demons believe and shudder. This is talking about demons believing in Jesus. This word in context is referring to somebody who may be able to believe in Jesus, yet not follow him whatsoever. Do you see the difference? I mean, does that make sense to us? I mean, it's a little hard to grasp, but do you see how it is possible to believe in the existence of Jesus, to believe that he is God, but have no part in following him whatsoever? To say, yes, Jesus is God, but I am not following him. If you really, if you really know your Bible and you study, what's the first group that knows, who figures out who Jesus is? The demons. It's the first group who say, I know that you are God. But we all know that demons and Satan do not follow Jesus and worship him. They are fallen angels who have chosen to disobey and not follow. So the first sign of, of, of this would be somebody who believes but doesn't follow. That's scary business and I really, uh, it, it gets frustrating for me. I, I, I understand that we preach the same message pretty much every single week here. I get that. Repetition's a good thing for us. It breaks my heart as a pastor here. I mean, literally, just, it hurts me to the core when I have people come in here and raise their hands to Jesus and shout honor in his name, yet really in life have no resemblance of following him whatsoever. I don't really know what to do with that all the time. It, it, it makes it very difficult for me. And it actually turns me a little bit into a kind of an angry guy sometimes. It's probably one of my greatest struggles. We say it here all the time. This isn't a game. If your faith is a hobby, get a better hobby. There's way better ones than this. 
And there's even hobbies where they won't ask for your money. Don't waste your time with this one. An example. Every year here in Gunnison, they do this thing called the, the prayer breakfast. And it's supposed to be this gathering of all the Christians, and everybody looks forward to it so much in our community. And I had to stop going, because I was like the one guy bringing it down. I was like, I hate this. I was like, why are you so negative towards the prayer meeting? You know why? I hope you know where I'm talking about. The Fred Field Center, it's over the cattle grounds. Big, huge room. They used to have like basketball courts in there. It's this weird rubber floor room. I don't really know what's going on with it. Uh, it's kind of this just big, weird room. And they fill it up. And this place is packed. I don't even know. Like, There's probably over 1,000 people. I'm just guessing. I don't know. Any of you have ever been there? I'm not just making up a number, but... Actually, I am making up a number, but I, I think it's somewhere around there. And all those people in there are supposedly claiming the name of Jesus, yet I don't know maybe 10% of them. I was like, if there's that many Christians in Gunnison, we should see the Holy Spirit moving through so many more people, doing so many more things, seeing so many more lives restored and I don't want to be the judge on them, and, I, and I'm not saying that to be that, like to act like I got it all together, but it just drives me insane. Do you, do you see the disconnect and how silly it is to say I believe yet not follow whatsoever? I just don't want to be in a church like that. I want to be in a church of people who are either so far from God that they don't even know where they are, they're just so messed up and have so much junk and I want to be with the church, with people who have accepted Jesus and understand that their faith is progressive and that they're going to be changing forever and that they want to have a regenerate heart. They want to have their heart changed continuously over time, over time, and continually be changed into a new person and understanding that they have never arrived, that they never have it all figured out, that they're never done. And there's some other groups in there too. Those are just two general ones. But I, I, I don't want to have a church where we just let people come in and pretend play it's 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 not a game all right i gotta move or we're gonna be here all night the second one of somebody who thinks that they follow jesus that may not is um is your faith based on signs is it based on, ooh, now I can get this, or um, maybe, we've all done it. Let's just be honest. Anybody ever been out somewhere, be like, all right, God, I'll follow you forever. You can make that mountain move. Or like, if you can do this, or, or if you make an alien spaceship land in my backyard right now, and the alien walks out and hands me a gold brick, I'll follow you. I, I prayed that one one time. It didn't happen. But... <laughs> It's not solid. We're not going to go there just for time's sake, but if, if for, just so you know that I'm not making this up, John 2, 23 through 25 and John 4, 8, 4, 48, I'm sorry. Talk about it. Faith is not based on signs. We, we spoke on it several weeks ago here. I, I hope you're here. We talked about how signs happen 
Miracles happen. They're part of what God does. But you have to understand, it goes gospel proclamation and then signs and wonders support the gospel. It doesn't go faith, signs, and wonders so that I will believe the gospel. Now, now hear me on this. God can do whatever the crap he wants. If he wants to give you a sign, they'll make you go, all right, I'm on. He can do that. But that's up to him. But generally speaking, it doesn't go that way. Generally speaking, it goes gospel proclamation is, it, it happens, it is manifested. Jesus goes forth and signs and wonders happen because his Holy Spirit has fallen on believers. And amazing things happen. And let's just be honest, if our faith was really, if, do you think that would really change things? If signs and wonders happen more frequently? Do you really think more people would be like, oh, let's just be honest, Jesus walked around. He was present. He straight up healed people, walked up to them. Dude walked on water. Think of Thomas. Thomas spent a couple years with him, saw him do all this stuff, watched him get arrested, get beaten, crucified, and rise again. And he comes to him and he goes, hey, Thomas, here I am. And he's like, I don't know. How about this one? I love how Matt Chandler puts it. He puts it in such a great way. He talks about the ascension of Jesus when Jesus ascended into heaven. That it said many believed and some didn't. If Jesus is literally levitating into heaven and the clouds are opening up and the dude's going into heaven and you're physically watching that, could, people are walking away not believing. Like Chandler says, he says, like, well, I got a cousin down south that can do that. You know, no, no big deal. I've seen David Blaine float. I don't think it would be that big of a difference for us right now. I don't think faith based on miracles and signs and wonders is always legit. I think it's a good thing. I'd love to see more of it in the church. I'd love to see a lack of fear of it. Because right now we are so fearful of signs and wonders, and it's goofy. I don't understand why we're so afraid of the Holy Spirit doing crazy things. I'm down. I want to see him just like heal some people. That'd be cool. I mean, I'm, trust me, I'm not going to be up here wearing the diamond cufflinks and like the big rings and the white suit and smacking you in the forehead. That's not going to happen here, okay? It's not going to go that way. Well, maybe somebody gave me the white suit. Anybody Rob Deerdeck fans? Any, anybody else here? Did you see the suit that he had made with the light-ups? Oh, man. Get on MTV.com. you got to watch that. Love it. I'd preach in that. But <laughs> third one is this lack of being filled with the Holy Spirit verses 17 and 18 then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given the laying, of, laying on of the apostles hands he offered them money okay the Holy Spirit is, an, is a prevalent thing in a believer what do I mean by that? That's kind of an ambiguous thing. The Holy Spirit is a prevalent thing in the believer. What I mean by that is, have you ever been around a person that's just really filled with the Holy Spirit? Like, like I'm not talking about the guy that only listens to praise music 24-7 and has like every Christian bumper sticker in the world. That's not the guy that I'm talking. I'm talking about the guy who is a normal dude who's sitting there talking to you like, man, I have had this addiction Forever. Since the time 
that I can really remember I have struggled with this and I am beating it. I'm winning. I'm actually loving my family the way that God has called me to love them. I'm actually proclaiming the name of Jesus the way that he's calling me to. I'm praying for people who I don't even know. God's putting things in my heart that I can't even describe. I was sitting at coffee the other day and I was just chatting with a guy and all of a sudden I just started spouting out scripture and he said, man, that's, the, that's what I needed to hear. I've never heard that before. That's what I'm talking about, being filled with the Holy Spirit. You ever been around that person? Man, those are great people. I, I wish I was more like that all the time. Just the person who it's like, man, w- when something goes wrong, it's like Holy Spirit come in and fill me and give me power because I know that I am too weak to handle this. The sign of a true believer is somebody who, 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 once you get a taste of it, it's like you gotta have more because it's so good. And just being clear on something, the Holy Spirit isn't like some pixie dust floating around that just kind of falls on people. It, it, it's an actual person of the Trinity. It's kind of like the ugly stepchild of the Trinity for some reason in most churches, but it's not. Holy Spirit is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful person in the Trinity. People ask me all the time, how did Jesus do it? How did he live the life that he lived? It's very, it's, it's very clear. How, how did he go to the cross? How did he suffer? How did he make it? He made it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was baptized and it says the Holy Spirit ascended on him like a dove. It gave him power. The interesting thing is if you claim the name of Jesus, you have that same power accessible to you right now. It's cool stuff. Last one. Probably one of the biggest ones. If this isn't prevalent in your life, I'll just say it. You may not know Jesus. This is the big one for me. Verse 22. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray that... and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven of you. Repentance. A non-repentant heart is a scary thing. It, it, do you understand this, this? This is kind of the key. That repentance is saying, God, you are good and I am not. God, I submit to you because I am too weak. God, I am so sorry for what I've done against you, but your mercies are new and your grace is abounding and your love is so massive that I am sorry. Will you forgive me? And he does every single time. It's amazing. Repentant heart. Somebody who is okay with living in a habitual sin premeditated out, thought out, planned. I'm going to do this and does it regularly and does not feel the Holy Spirit pulling on their heart saying, drop to your knees and ask for strength either to not do this and get forgiveness and get help. 
This is so key to our faith. If we aren't a repentant community, <laughs> we are not going to be a biblical community. Repentance goes a lot deeper than to just Jesus. It, that's the start. But it's to one another. It's to harming each other. It's to hurting each other. It's, to, it's all about that. It, it, it's humility. That's why repentance is so hard for guys. How many, how many guys love to go, hey, I'm wrong. It's all my bad. I got this one. Not me. I mean, especially when dudes call me out. I don't think I've ever really had the response where somebody comes out and goes, Matt, you're really struggling with this. Man, I see it coming. Where I go, oh, thank you so much. I'm like, I, I rarely say it out loud, but I'm going, oh, bro, I know what's wrong with you. This, 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 this. And you better clean this junk up. I'm like making the list in my head. But that's somebody loving me enough to help me to get to repentance. Repentance is huge. Okay, let's get to some good stuff here so I can get you guys out of here. The second part, I promise, is much shorter. You said second part. That means you're halfway. You're not halfway. You're like 55% of the way there. No, I'm just joking. Some hope. Some hope. Some good stuff. If you're sitting here going, I am falling short in all these, that's okay. But it's not okay to stay that way, right? It's not okay to just stay there. Godliness, if you desire to have a godly life, to, to be called to holiness, to become more like Jesus, you have to understand that this sucker is a crawl at times. That godliness is slow at times, right? I mean, how many of us really have that story? It's like yesterday I was smoking crack and drinking a... a, a a fifth of whiskey every, every, every hour of, you know, me, me and Jack Daniels were tight. And then like I heard the gospel and I just threw it down. It's like, man, I'm done with this crack. I broke my pipe and broke my bottle and I was done and I'm healed. And now I'm a pastor in 15 minutes. Okay. That story happens. It does, but it is not the norm. It, it, it's not the normal thing that happens every day. Most of us, it's like, man, I think I need Jesus. Maybe I'll hang out with some Christians. Maybe I'll go to church. Maybe I'll hang around some of them. Maybe I'll find us more. Maybe I'll dig some more. And then we finally accept them. And then we're like, okay, what do I do now? I'm supposed to read this book that I don't even know where to go. And we all get stuck. And we get, you know, it's a slow process. Understand that that's okay. Nobody is expecting you to be done at any point. And if they are, you're in the wrong place and hanging out with the wrong people. But here's the thing, is you have to train for godliness. If you want godliness, it's going to be some work. The gift is free, but it takes training. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible, 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. Let's go there. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now, here's some things for training and godliness. Catch this. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while the body, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Did you catch it there? For while bodily training is of some value, training for our bodies is a good thing. Godliness is a value in every way. 
We live in Gunnison. It's a weird place, man. Aaron, how, how much do you run when you used to run cross country a week on average? 80 miles a week. Tell me that isn't crazy. Okay, that is messed up. And there's so many people around. I love you, man. I, I'm glad you can do it. I, I couldn't, but I'm glad you can do it. But there's people around here who, like, train their butts off for stuff, right? Can you imagine if we actually applied that same level of training to understanding the promises God has in his word, the diving in. Dude, we have some theological studs walking around. This kind of training is good for godliness. Okay, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? There you go, that's for you, Aaron. But only one received the, receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. Okay, the wreath thing, this is to Grecians who understood, like, the Olympic kind of group. If you won the race, you got, like, a crown. It's not like, I was, when I first read it, I was like, thought it was one of these, like, Christmas wreaths around your neck. I don't know. That's what I thought. But we, but we, an imperishable, let's go to the next verse. So I do not run aimlessly. I love this line. I do not box as one beating the air but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's just talking about when I do stuff, when Paul does stuff, Paul has a singular focus in his life. His focus is to bring the gospel in everything. He has a focus that he is always training. He is always striving towards bringing the gospel out. That's what he does. Because if he doesn't, he understands that he might as well just be punching air. Because it is what is of value. Men in the Bible who get it, who just killed it. I mean, like, let's, other than Jesus, all men in the Bible failed multiple times in so many areas. But So let's look at Jesus. His focus was phenomenal. His focus was on that cross. He knew where he had to go. He had intention. You ever wonder why he shows up somewhere? He heals some, but then he has to go on because he's like, I gotta get to Jerusalem. I've gotta get to Jerusalem. I've gotta get to Jerusalem. I've got to do this thing. He had a singular focus, dying for all mankind so that we may have life. And he calls us to have that kind of focus too, that kind of willingness to train that way that kind of willingness to work that way, that everything we do has intention. Okay. Spiritual growth is a crawl. Just is. Bummer. Sorry. It's not quick. It takes time. People, I, it's funny. I, I have, so I've been teaching more than, at least twice a week for about seven years straight now. When I was in college, I, I was lucky enough to get to do up to six a week at times. And I love it. It's, it's what I'm made to do. It's my favorite thing in the world. It's, I, I, I had a guy in my office this last week say, how, how do you do it? How do, how do you teach? I'm like, I don't even think I'm that good. You need to listen to some podcasts, dude, and, and, get some, and get some good people. But he's like, how do you do it? I'm like, man, I'm not that old, but I've been doing this for seven years now, and I'm just starting to figure out how to do it better. And next year, hopefully, I'll be able to do it better. And hopefully next year, God will work on me to do some more in that. You've got to understand that this takes time. 
So what do we do? These are the three things that I have found in, most of the, in some of the most godly people I know. And just things that I've seen them do. Practices that they have. If they just kill it. And, and understand this. One of these people I'm thinking of in my head. When I, when I say he's killing it. I mean he loves Jesus a lot. I'm not saying his life is perfect. This guy comes home and his wife. I can say this because he doesn't live here. He comes home and his wife was abused as a little girl and she just freaks out from time to time. And I'll tell him that she hates him, that he should leave. Leave the family because she's not worthy of his love. And they have a good marriage. So understand what I'm saying when I say a godly man. A man who knows how to take that and continuously love his wife. That's what I'm talking about. I think a lot of times when we talk about godliness, we, we think the guy who has it all together and his life is perfect. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about the guy who will stay and love and help, okay? So, number one, I call this, I call this one the disciplines. It's four things. Prayer, fasting, solitude, and Sabbath. Prayer, fasting, solitude, and Sabbath. Prayer, and I mean prayer. I mean the man who's willing, and, and, I, and this goes for ladies too, but I'm, I'm talking about specifically the kind of guy who, who I, I'm looking around the room and I, I see most of us probably don't have families yet or anything like that, or don't have a wife, that will walk around their house and pray that it will be a spiritual blessing, that it will be a sanctuary for his wife. That's what this guy does. I know he does that. The Satan has no power in his house, that he is in control, that Jesus is there. The kind of man that will pray for people unceasingly so that they will know the love of Jesus. Not the guy who prays so they can win the lottery. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about deep prayer. Fasting. Lost practice in the church, I think. Jesus calls us to it. It's, it's probably in my life the single thing that has improved my spiritual walk. Just being dead honest with you all. It, it'll rock your world. If you want to know more about it, I encourage you to pick up uh, Hunger for God by John Piper. It's a great book on fasting and understanding what that means. I don't have time to go into it today. Solitude. Sometimes you just need to be alone and just hear from God. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes you need to know that he's not in the fire, that he's not in the earthquakes, that he's not in all the noise, that he's not in all the junk. Sometimes you just need to shut up. And that's tough for me, as you can tell tonight especially. And the last one is Sabbath. Sabbathing. I, I, I just make, is Sabbathing even a real thing? Can you? Professional Sabbather? I don't know. Like, Sabbath. That means enjoying life together with people. A lot of times what we take Sabbath is, I have a remote and a bag of chips and football. That's not Sabbath. Sabbath is enjoying the Lord, enjoying company. You can watch football and hang out with some guys and have a good time, and it's a relaxing time. Sabbath is key. Okay, number two, biblical community. Practicing the presence of the body. Godliness in people, who, like the, the really godly people that I know, they love the body. They love the church. They don't hate it. They love it. I have a question for us. Do you, people you go to church with in general, I mean, I see for the most part all these people in here pretty regularly, the same deal in the morning. I get convicted on this in my own life. Do, do we actually really know each other? Do we have an invested interest in each other's lives? 
Listen, I'm not the guy who's going to say, you have to be buddy-buddy with everybody who goes to church here. Listen, there's some people, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm, we're really not going to hang out that much. And that's cool. That's okay, but I'm saying, are there people, do you have biblical community? Do you have community where it will rally around you? A friend of mine put it this way, is, is, your, is your biblical community on your speed dial? Because guess what? When it goes bad, we all know who we call first. And I get that if that's like your parents or your spouse or whatever. But somewhere pretty close to that, top of that list should be somebody who you share life with and with Jesus really closely and intimately, who knows your struggles, who will pray for you. The godliness I see in these people that when I came up with this list, they don't fly solo. They don't. They have true, authentic, biblical community. One of my favorite verses, 2 Timothy 4, 9. When it all goes bad, just so you know, 2 Timothy, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. This is Paul writing to young Timothy, who's kind of like his apprentice. He says that it's his son. There's a close relationship with him. And this is right before Paul is executed. And he knows it. He knows that it's coming. So I, I compare this letter a lot of times to if you were at somebody's deathbed and you were able to lean in and listen to their last words. You know, the last words are going to be like the profound things that somebody says in their life. Hopefully you've been saying more profound things until you're on your, before you're on your deathbed. But these are the words. And Paul knows that it's going bad. And Timothy's his boy. And he says... Do your best to come to me soon. Do you have biblical community like that? That you will say, do your best to get here as soon as possible. I need you guys around me. I need you here. Because it's going to go bad at some point. It just is. Do you have those people who will rally around you? Do you have the people you trust? I would encourage you that you really need that. Last one, then I'll shut up. Biblical counsel. Are you willing to seek it out? Biblical counsel is something that all you guys have. I have currently five mentors that I seek out as much as I can. I have one that lives far away because I need somebody who's detached from the stuff that I deal with. I have somebody who's close here. I need that person who can speak into my life and go, Matt, shut up. You're being a little baby and just deal with it and suck it up and move on. I need that a lot in my life because I'm a whiner. That's what I do. I'm, I'm a big baby. My wife knows this immensely. Biblical counsel is huge. It goes... It, 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 you could tie it in with the biblical community thing. But this is kind of different. This is somebody who's willing to sit down with you, who has experience, who's been there, who knows it. They're probably going to be older than you. A lot of times, <laughs> I know I'm generally speaking to roughly a college age group. The last thing our age group needs a lot of time is to hear from more of our age group. Okay? That's like the last thing we need to hear. Tying these together, 
are you just waiting for us to put out a program that's a piece that like, oh, I like that one. I can join that group. Or, oh, this looks good. I can go there. Or there's nothing for me, so I can't do anything. These godly people seek it out. If we don't have it, they're going to start it. And they do. They understand that their faith isn't dependent on how well I do my job. Their faith is dependent on Jesus. Let's close out with this verse. Titus 3, 5 through 7. He saved us. Who's he? It's Jesus. With this verse, you need to understand one thing. is I just gave you a list of things to do. You can walk out of here and try a lot harder this week. That's not my goal. Don't want, I don't want to give you a list of things to do better. I want you to understand the difference between religion and Christianity. If you've been here for any time, you should know this by now. We say it almost every single week. The difference between religion and Christianity is this. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Christianity says, I'm accepted, therefore I will do whatever you call me to do, Jesus, because of your great love for me. Know that he has saved us, not because of works done by us and righteousness, but according to his own mercy, not by anything we can do. It's surely his mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, stay there for a second. By the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, what this means is that your life is an ever-present example of just changing of growing, of becoming more and more in his likeness, of renewal, of the Holy Spirit being filled more. Regeneration is a key. If you're not changing, you need to be. Let's keep going. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs to the hope of eternal life. This is why this is so important. Do you understand what's on the line with your faith? I don't think any of us really do. I think it's so big that I, our minds just, you know, just can't get it. We do know this, is that we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That the hope of eternal life is on the line. Do you get it? The hope of eternal life is on the line. What's connected to that line should be Jesus. What are we tied to? Are we tied to our faith based off of our family? If so, it needs to be tied to Jesus. Is your faith based off of that you're an American? If, I, I hope not, because that won't save you. Just he will, Jesus will. Is your faith based off of this is what you need to do so that you can get something? That's not it. We do this solely for Jesus. That's who we're tied to. 
so that being justified by his grace, we are made righteous in God's eyes by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. That is weighty and that is heavy and that is so massive. I pray that we won't be pretenders. I pray that we'll want to be people growing in godliness and holiness. Ryan's going to come up. We're going to sing a song because that's what we do at the end of church because we don't know how to end without being awkward. I really hope our faith for the people in this room is much more than a conversion experience. Some emotional high that we've had, and I'm not belittling your experience that you had at youth camp a long time ago, if that's you. That's a beautiful thing, and God was glorified on that day. He wants to be glorified more, though, and it takes time. He wants to use us continually. I think that's probably the biggest thing that we got going on in this room here tonight, just in my heart, is that we need to be people who are continually growing, who is not just a once and done kind of thing. We, we will not change a community or a world for that matter with that story that's really not that enticing to anybody. So I just pray that We'll be the kind of people that take this seriously. We have fun in it, that we will rejoice in it, that we will laugh, that we will cry, that we'll be there for one another. We'll seek out biblical community. We'll seek out counsel. We will be repentant people. All these things we went over. I just pray that that will be us. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing. Um, after this, I'll, I'll pray for us. I'll just pray about us before we leave. And uh, I'm going to stick around for a little while. If you, need, if you need to talk with somebody, I would encourage you. I, I, I dare you to not rush out of here. With this crew, it's a little bit easier. For some reason, you guys like to hang out way later than I really want to be here, and that's cool. That's why we pay Ryan. <laughs> but I, 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 I dare you to stick around and talk to somebody if you need it. I dare you to, to, to come talk to me. That you can talk. I know Allie and Ari would like to talk to you if, if you feel more comfortable talking to a woman I'm, or even just the person next to you. Don't fake it. Not worth it. Let me pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for tonight. We just thank you for your son, for his love for us, for his sacrifice. God, I just pray that just especially even in my heart that I can actually exist more in that realm of when I get it right now like I when I'm actually thinking about the cross when I'm thinking about the sacrifice that that I'll actually love it continuously I pray that for everybody in here that 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 picture that love that the thing that you just did, that the world meant and Satan meant that looks so ugly and so gruesome that you made looks so beautiful 
God, remind us all that we are free. It's surely by the blood that you shed on the cross and when you defeated death and you conquered and you rose again that you, you are in charge and you are God and you are sovereign and you are loving. You are wrathful and you are all these things, God, but no, no, you are God and we love you. Amen.